All righty, take a look at those verses that I just read to you. Uh, the main theme of these verses, if I could just put it out there, is wisdom. Tonight we're going to talk about wisdom. Wisdom defined scripturally, wisdom defined biblically in, God, in, in a God-centered way, rather than just wisdom generally. Uh, let's start here. What are some of the common ideas about wisdom in our society? When, when you hear wisdom, or when people hear wisdom, what do they think? What do you think? Old. That's right. What's that? Rich. Yeah. Smart. Chinese proverbs. Yes. Confucius and, and the others. Yep. Very wise. Yes. People in authority. Good. What else? Yes, we do often confuse it with knowledge, right? Uh, just to simply know the truth about something doesn't mean you have wisdom, at least not in the, the biblical sense. I start with that question because I think this could be, maybe besides the word love, the word wisdom could be one of the most misunderstood or perhaps just most variously understood word that we find in the whole Bible. Would you agree with that? Wisdom and love kind of are together in terms of everybody, everybody has an idea of what it means, but hardly anybody's ideas exactly match up. Well, that's, that's interesting because wisdom and love happen to be two of the things the Bible speaks most about. So isn't it interesting that these two ideas, love and wisdom, which the Bible is most abundant about and actually clearest about, are two of the things we're most confused about. Fascinating to me. If you'll look at the uh, verses before you, you, you'll notice some words that, that uh, are related to the discussion of wisdom that we find in the Bible. In fact, I don't know if you know this, maybe you do, but in most Bibles or in most Bible handbooks, they will divide the Old Testament books up into different categories or genres. And one of the genres, one of the types of literature that you find in the Bible is wisdom literature. Do you all know which books would fit in wisdom literature? Proverbs, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, those books. Uh, well, you'll notice in these, and usually the Psalms are not put in the wisdom literature. However, some of the Psalms are considered wisdom psalms. And I would say these eight verses here under the letter Mem would be considered a wisdom song because there are numerous phrases and words that are very abundant in the wisdom literature, for example, in Proverbs, that are found here. Take a look at it. Which, one, which words there remind you of the book of Proverbs? Meditate twice, verse 97, verse 99. Keeping from the evil way. This whole idea of there are two ways to go, and you should keep from one and go into another. That's very Proverbs and very Ecclesiastes as well. What else? Sweet are the words to my taste. That is another common theme. The words of God being like gold or like sweet honey. Very valuable. What else? There's a few more. Teaching precepts. Teaching precepts. Uh, yes, twice, two different words actually for understanding are used, both of which are used many, many times in the Proverbs. In fact, they're almost exclusively used in the Proverbs in here. 
right? Uh, it is, yes. Emotional, yeah, it is very cerebral, a lot of thinking. Uh, in fact, the people that he's comparing himself to are typically considered thinking type people. Um, my teachers, the people who taught me to think, he mentions them in verse 99. The aged, the aged, uh, those who are old, and like someone mentioned already, we tend to associate wisdom with age. Uh, this section is all about wisdom. David is still continuing to talk about his problem, which is that he is surrounded by enemies. He doesn't always know how to handle that. But here, he's now taking his struggle with his enemies, and he's speaking to God and to himself and to others, anybody who will listen. He's saying the way to be ready for trouble, specifically trouble when enemies are against you, is to learn how to be wise. Wisdom prepares you for trouble in your life. And so let's look at your uh, bulletin. I want to talk to you through three things. And I'll, like I usually have been doing, I'll just follow through the passage in order. Uh, first of all, uh, David has some misconceptions about wisdom, which are corrected there in verses 97 to 100. And then in verses 100 to 102, he defines wisdom truly. And then in verses 103 to 104, he gives us a little bit of a pathway to gaining wisdom, how to get it. So, you know, how do we misunderstand it? What is it? And how do we get it? All right, first of all, how do we misunderstand wisdom? Well, let me, let me state it, and then I'll try to make the case. David is saying in the first three verses, 97 to 100, that we misunderstand wisdom any time we try to define it apart from its source. When you try to define wisdom apart from the source of wisdom, you will end up misunderstanding what it is and what it's for. Um, lots of people pose as wise people. In fact, Psalm 1, this is where the, psalm, the whole book of Psalms began. Remember what it said at the very beginning of the Psalms? Blessed is the man who does not walk as wicked men advise, nor stand where sinners meet, nor sit where scorners pose as wise. Lots of people pose as wise, but true wisdom has a definition according to the Bible. It's very different than posing. It's actually having it, having the thing itself, because you've learned not to separate it from the one who gives it. Or from the source of it. Let me put it in another way. According to the Bible, you can't really be wise without knowing God. Can anyone think of a famous proverb that makes that point? <laughs> yeah. yeah. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In other words, you can't even begin to have wisdom. Not even start. You can't even get, you can't even get your white belt in wisdom. <laughs> It isn't the white belt, the first belt for karate? You can't even get your white belt if you do not fear God. It's impossible. Because God himself is the source of wisdom. Or as we read earlier about Jesus from Colossians, in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Well, if we try to think we can be wise and understanding and knowledgeable and master life without thinking that we, the only way we can do that is by walking with God... 
we will end up in a very sad state indeed. David has learned the other way. David is just like his son Solomon would one day be. He's learned that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Oh, how I love your law, verse 97. It is my meditation all the day. I am thinking about it. Med- meditation means thinking and considering deeply. So that your thinking affects your feeling, affects your acting. We'll get there a little bit later in more detail. But he says, I meditate on it all the day. Verse 99, your testimonies are my meditation. He knows he cannot be wise except through God. But he believes that because he has humbled himself, because he has submitted himself to God's way, he has in fact attained to some level of wisdom. And that is causing him to be secure in the situation that he finds himself in. He is more uh, secure against his enemies because he believes God has given to him a measure of wisdom in God's own way. And he tells us in verses 99 and 100 what that looks like, or really 98 to 100. He says, I am wiser than three different people, three different groups of people. Now, I like this. This is almost like a little bit of a Davidic boast. David is boasting a little bit, but in a, I think in a godly way. Who is he wiser than? My enemies. I have more understanding than? Not just my teachers, all my teachers. Isn't that good? And then in verse 100, who is he smarter than? Who who does he have more wisdom than? The aged, you know. So you see what David is saying. Maybe there's a little bit of hyperbole going on here. We've talked about hyperbole uh, in these night services where you say something exaggerated for to make a point, not because you literally mean it's true, but to make a point. He's making a point. Because I have learned my wisdom in relationship to God... My wisdom has something that the wisdom of other people who don't know God doesn't have. I've got something they don't have. Because I have gone straight to the source. I haven't tried to define wisdom in any other way except in light of a relationship with God who is wisdom itself. In fact, I think in those three comparisons, I'm wiser than my enemies, I have more understanding than my teachers, I understand more than the aged, he's actually speaking to us in the 21st century because these three things remind us of three mistakes that we tend to make, three misconceptions we tend to have about wisdom too. He says, first, I'm wiser than my enemies. Uh, In other words, he believes wisdom is useful. It comes in handy. It gives me an advantage over the people who are trying to destroy me. And yet oftentimes, isn't it true that there's this misconception that wisdom is this thing that people who have a whole lot of time on their hands get. The people who are like monks, you know, who are just devoting themselves to study. They're academic type people. I don't need that. I'm a simple person. I don't need all that wisdom stuff. Don't we think that? And yet David says, wisdom has a very practical benefit. My enemies come against me, and yet because God is me teaching me, I've got an advantage. Wisdom helps me live. And it helps me live especially when living is difficult. Well, same thing with verse 99. I have more understanding than all my teachers. Don't we tend to confuse wisdom with knowledge today? We think that getting an education is the same thing as being wise. 
Is it? No. And I'm the biggest proponent of education, right? I love education and I believe in it. But let me tell you, education does not automatically make you wise, according to the Bible. And for David, he learned this. He had all these teachers who brought him up teaching him how to learn. They taught him the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. They taught him how to do his math figures and all those other kinds of things. But now he notices because he's been with God, he's got an advantage even on them. They taught him every other thing he knows, but he has something more. He has God by his side showing him how to live, how to apply the knowledge that he has gained. Same thing with the last one. I understand more than the aged. Don't we also tend to think that increasing years automatically means increasing wisdom? Right? Does it? Not necessarily. In many cases it does. And certainly the Bible says gray hair is a crown. Because when someone grows in years, while they're also growing in knowledge with God, that's a beautiful thing. But there isn't always, it is not always the case that graying hair means an expanding heart. Can I get an amen, right? <laughs> Sometimes it can actually have the opposite effect. Getting older can make you less wise. Because maybe you become more stuck in your own personal ways and less open to God's voice. God forbid, but that can happen, right? We, we do know that there are examples of that happening. David is saying, because I know the source of wisdom and I'm getting it straight from the source, I've got an advantage over all the people that this world thinks are the wisest. The world has looked at me and my enemies and they said, David's toast. Those people are a lot better than he is. And David says, hold on, I've got God guiding me. The world looks at teachers and thinks, they've got degrees, they must be wise. And David says, oh no, I followed sheep around my whole childhood and I have more wisdom than them because I've learned from God, right? Many people say, if you have gray hair, you have wisdom in your heart. Not the case. David knew this. He didn't have gray hair yet, but he was wise because he had walked with the Lord. It's beautiful, isn't it? You cannot separate wisdom from its source. Last week, I spent a little bit of time in our, our lesson talking about how God's word is firmly fixed in the heavens and everything else is sort of in motion and in flux. Human understanding is always changing and so you can't bank on human understanding. I don't want to be misunderstood in what I said. Okay? I, I, and I, don't, I didn't want to say it in a way that was... Uh, not what I was trying to communicate. I wasn't trying to communicate that people haven't figured a whole lot of things out in this world and that you can learn a lot from people. You can. Um, God, by his common grace, by his grace spread across all of creation, has given medical knowledge and psychological knowledge and all kinds of knowledge, right? Mathematical knowledge, um, architectural knowledge, agricultural knowledge. You can get so much from human beings. What I was trying to get at last week, though, is what this is getting at. Even if you had all of that and benefited from it, if you did not have the fear of the Lord, that is, a commitment to walk with God in the way he put, lays down, you will fail to apply the knowledge you have rightly. 
therefore you will fail to be wise. You will have much understanding of little individual topics that you study, but you will not have a comprehensive view of life that helps you through all kinds of circumstances because you have cut yourself off from your maker. And the Bible just simply says life does not work without your maker. It doesn't. People pretend like it does. Remember Psalm 1? People pose as wise. Don't be deceived. (laughs) Without God, it's nothing but posing. All right, secondly, let's define wisdom a little bit. David does that for us in, in verses 101 and 102. He shows us what wisdom is in its in its outworking. Uh, read those verses to yourself real quick, 101 and 102, and help me define wisdom out of those verses. What do you notice? What is wisdom? Right. So it is not just thinking. It is what? Doing. Doing. In fact, that's, that's the main thing he's talking about here. He's been talking about his understanding, his wisdom, his meditation on God's word. And you might think that in verse 101 and 102, he thinks, man, I have such deep thoughts. And and let me tell you, David had deep thoughts. I mean, you can't read the Psalms and not think David had deep thoughts. But he doesn't say, my thoughts are deep. My meditations are supernatural and mystical. He doesn't say that. Instead, he says, simple. What does he say? I don't do what is evil, but I do what is good. (laughs) That's pretty cool, isn't it? That's what wisdom at the end of the day boils down to. Uh, This is why I said earlier, um, somebody pointed out that the word way is here. And this is a very common phrase in the book of Proverbs, especially the first nine chapters. If you're not familiar with the book of Proverbs, the first nine chapters is just a, well, it's a lecture from dad to son. A nine-chapter lecture. So dads, it's okay, you know, if you lecture your kids from time to time. A nine-chapter lecture. And um, that was a joke, by the way. You were allowed to laugh. A nine-chapter lecture is a long lecture. But it was inspired by the Lord, so it's a good one. Um, He says over and over again, in fact, the only thing he really says in that nine chapters, just like a good dad, he repeats himself a lot. He says, there is a way that leads to death. There is a way that leads to death. Don't go down that way. There is, O son, a way that leads to life. Sell everything you got to get on that way. It takes wisdom to get on that way. It's folly that takes you on this other way. Both wisdom and folly are like women calling out to you from the street for you to follow them. They're both pitching you on their way of life. Don't listen to Lady Folly. Listen to Lady Wisdom. Now, that's the whole of the first nine chapters. In other words, wisdom boils down to where your feet go. Like literally what you do. Not just what you think, not even just what you feel, but what you do. 
It's very simple. Um, you know, sometimes we make a big deal of saying Christianity is not a list of do's and don'ts. And that, that certainly, that's, it's not only a list of do's and don'ts, right? Of course not. There's a lot more to it than that. But wisdom is a matter of do's and don'ts, according to Scripture. You know? Christianity is broader than that. But wisdom ain't much broader than that. It's about learning how to think and live and feel in such a way that you avoid doing the evil thing that leads to death in every situation in your life. And you start choosing and walking on the good way that leads to life because God is leading you on that way. Now, how is that different, y'all, than the way most people think about wisdom? Abstract and, ooh, yes, we think of the, the owl, Mr. Owl in um, Winnie the Pooh, right? He's one of my favorite characters in Winnie the Pooh. But if you'll, note, if you'll read the books and, and watch the movie again as an adult, you'll realize Owl says things that make absolutely no sense. But they sound so deep, you know, and so everybody's like, wow. But they have no real meaning. That's not, a, that's not wisdom, but we think that that is what it is. That guy, wow. She says such amazing things. You know? Right? The test is what do you do? Ed? Uh, the opposite of that is Forrest Gump. Stupid is stupid. <laughs> there, there you go, yeah. Yeah, there you go. So Forrest Gump teaches us this, right? It, it is what you do in life that ultimately shows whether you're wise or not. Jesus said it too. He had this saying. He said, wisdom is justified by her children. That was Jesus that said that. Wisdom is justified by her children. Now think about that. He's, he's picking up on Proverbs where wisdom is described as a lady who wants to teach you and lead you, and folly is another lady who wants to teach you and lead you. Um, Jesus says wisdom, lady wisdom, is justified by her children. What does he mean? Hmm? What does she produce? Yeah. Um, does she produce good or evil? If it's producing evil, you're not wise. If it's producing good, you're wise. Wow. I love how simple this is. It helps me. Uh, especially as someone who is prone to some abstract thought and things of that nature. And I, I get excited about deep thoughts. It's good just to remember how simple sometimes the message of the Bible is and the lessons of the Bible are. Wisdom is about where your feet are aimed. A truly wise person's feet are aimed Godward and are committed to following out the path that God has laid out in his word. Notice how David is continuing to focus on the word of God. He says, I don't turn aside from your rules, God. I keep back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your Word. David has limited his, himself to learning about God from God's own word. That is a wise thing to do. It is, it is not wise to strike off on your own and try to speculate God into existence. Or to speculate things about God. In fact, the Bible is very clear about that. That when we start to speculate about God or imagine what we want God to be like, we will immediately fall into Grave danger. Grave danger. 
Let God define God, and you just accept it and, and walk in light of it. That's wisdom. Wisdom, it turns out, is highly related to humility. You say, well, hold on. David says, I'm smarter than all my teachers. I'm smarter than the old people. I'm smarter than my enemy. He doesn't seem very humble. Is he humble? I think so, for this reason. David, as you'll see, does not think he has made himself wiser than his enemies. Or that he has made himself more understanding than his teachers or the aged. He says it very plainly, verse 98, your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies. I have more understanding than my teachers. Why? Your testimonies are my meditation and have filled my heart. I understand more than the aged. Why, David? Is it because you're just greater than old people? No. I have kept your precepts. That's humility, actually. Somebody once said that, um, I think it was G.K. Chesterton, who said that we are exactly backwards in the modern world than we ought to be. People were designed to be confident about truth and not as confident about themselves. In the modern world, we are totally not confident about truth claims, but extraordinarily confident about ourselves far more than we ought to be. I think he was smart in that. Um, The Bible is trying to encourage us to be confident in what lasts forever. God's word is eternally fixed in the heavens. Everything else is movable and shakable. And there is value in what is movable and shakable. And as Christians, I believe, according to the Bible, all things are ours that God makes. And so all truth is God's truth, and we might get a little truth from here and there, but we ought to always bring everything we think we've learned to the Bible and say, Lord, help me understand whether, whether it fits, whether it, it, it agrees, and what I should do with it. Once I've learned it. And so a Christian can be an outstanding scientist, an outstanding psychologist, an outstanding engineer, an outstanding mathematician, uh, whatever, outstanding plumber, farmer. But what makes the Christian wise is that he submits all that he knows to what God knows and what God has revealed. And that's how he steers his feet. Right? If you, if you use human wisdom to steer your feet, you will end up following folly. Uh, but if you use God's word to steer your feet, Lady Wisdom is ready to teach you. And she is justified by her children. All right, let's look at the last thing, which is the pathway to wisdom. How to get true wisdom. And I, I want to show you there in verses 103 and 104, David's recipe for developing a wise heart. That's what that is there in verses 103 to 104. David's recipe for developing a wise heart. Read it and help me answer. How can we develop a wise heart? How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. How do you get wisdom? 
Acquire a taste. That's, that's right. Acquire a taste. A taste for what? God's word, God's ways, God himself. And then you, require, you acquire at the same time a distaste for what? Sugar. <laughs> Not sugar. It does say honey. Sweet. The Bible is sweet. <laughs> it's honey. Okay. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> that's good. They're ragging on me because I'm pro-sugar. I am pro-sugar. As the Lord would have it. <laughs> he made it. <laughs> hate every false... Well, I didn't say false sweetener. That's good. I hate every false way. So, so notice what he's saying. You be- I've become wise, and you can become wise... By learning to develop a taste for what is good. Learning how to love the good. And again, this is painfully simple, but you got to learn how to love the good and hate the evil. That's how you become wise. And it takes time to do that. He indicates that it takes time. How does he indicate that? One little phrase in there that makes it sound... Like it took him a while. I get understanding. So it wasn't something that he had automatically. It's something that he had to get. And he got it through the precepts. He had to take God's word in and digest it in his heart for him to gain an understanding which would cause him to hate what is false and love what is good. By nature, our loves are all mixed up. And our hates are all mixed up. Um, oftentimes, isn't that right? We love what we should hate and we hate what we should love. And nobody's going to convince me otherwise. We get very stubborn in these things. And David says, here's the the key to wisdom. Learning how to let God teach you what to love and, and to lead you in love because what you should love is what he loves. And then learn how also to let God teach you how to hate. Because what he hates is what you should hate. Do you all know that God hates? We don't talk about it very much in church, but it is in the Bible. And actually, it's essential for God to be love that he also hate. Parents, do you love your kids? Anything that might harm your children, how much do you oppose it? 10%? 75%? 100% all out opposition. Isn't that right? You could call it hatred. And it's a rightful kind of hatred. It's not, not a vindictive, personally vindictive, spiteful hatred. It's not what we're talking about. Jesus tells us not to hate people in that way, in a vindictive, personally trying to get revenge way. But to hate evil and to hate what causes evil and pain, that is a godly thing. Because God does it better than any of us. Your kid and another kid are trying to... Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, okay, yes, that's right. Yeah, you hate the other team. 
Yeah, and I have seen parents do that. It's never a pretty thing to hate the other children that are, are competing with your children, but I've, I've seen that happen, right? But hatred to what is truly evil and damaging is a right thing. God, the Bible says, hates wickedness. The Bible even says God hates the wicked. He's angry with them every day, it says in the Psalms. Um, and actually, it proves how loving God is that he would oppose that which is wicked. If he didn't, he would be like a parent who wasn't all that concerned with kids playing in the highway. Right? That would be a really off parent, one who's very neglectful. I mean, criminally neglectful. God isn't that way. God loves, therefore he hates. And so in a, a greater part of wisdom is taking God's word into you regularly. Into your mind, down into your heart, out into your actions. Because when it goes from mind to heart, the mind informs the heart what it should love and hate. And then what the heart loves and hates is ultimately what the person chooses to do and not to do. Don't you know that about yourself? You only do, listen, you only do what you want to do at the end of the day. Usually. Right? <laughs> well, <laughs> I love that. Now, even there, Vivian, you're still doing what you want to do. It's just you've judged that keeping the peace is a greater good to you than insisting on your own way, which you're probably right about that in most situations. But you're still choosing what you have judged to be best. In fact, it's impossible for someone who's acting of their own volition, not being forced, it's possible for that person, it's impossible for that person to do anything that they have not judged is the best thing for them to do in that situation. It's how the will works, which is why apart from Christ, our wills are hopelessly in bondage to sin. Because we don't know and we don't love and hate the right things. We actually end up, we love sin and we hate God, the Bible says. So we're hopelessly bound until Christ comes and sets us free. And then when Christ comes and sets set us free, he begins this process of teaching us what to love. And teaching us on the other side what to hate. And it becomes like an inner compass in us. The heart is like a compass. It points us in the direction of what we love the most. And when, over time, that becomes, when I, through God's precepts, gain understanding, I'm learning how to love God and His ways the most so that my feet become pointed and my start to walk in the way of wisdom. When you read the book of Proverbs, the book of Ecclesiastes, that's what it's teaching you. How to train the heart to love and to hate the right things. And so David. David has learned that God's words are sweet. They are sweeter than honey, which means they are like sugar, because sugar is sweeter than honey. <laughs> Proven. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sweeter than honey. Not honey. Sweeter than honey. I just noticed that. Got to be careful there. Sugar. They are delicious at any rate. Whatever you want to think about it as, they're delicious. David has developed a taste for God's word that he did not have before, technically a taste, a palate. 
But at the same time, he's working up a good case of hatred towards those things that exalt themselves against God. Which is just as important. Um, In the book of Proverbs, that dad who's lecturing his son says, hey, this way that leads to death. Uh, If you've ever read that, you know he paints colorful, dark pictures of what that way is like. He says, you're going to become like the animal, the deer caught in a trap, and he's going to pierce you with an arrow through your liver if you go that way. I mean, he's painting these very scary, dark pictures. Why? To teach the son to hate it. Because you should hate it. Sin is for hating, not for loving. You know, righteousness is for loving. Um, and the way of wisdom requires that we continue to exercise that, that muscle. The head to the heart out to the life. Now now think about this. If we try to do it some other way, some shortcut way, and say we try to avoid the head and just start to change the heart, what is that what is that like? If I'm just trying to work up good feelings, feel good, feel good, feel good, love the right things, hate the right things, brr, what is that? actually kind of impossible, right? It's really hard to move your own emotions just directly. Really hard to do that. Emotions have to be directed, I think, from other angles to get to them. Because, the, because if someone does play to your emotions and does move your emotions, what do we call that? Manipulation, con artist behavior. <laughs> if you're simply trying to play on people's emotions, pure and simple, that's manipulation. We don't, like, we don't like being manipulated. Well, we should stop trying to manipulate ourselves, too. Uh, you can't change what you love and hate by bypassing your brain. You, you take in God's word, hear, hear it, listen to it, read it, study it, and that's what begins to change. That's how you get understanding. He says, through your precepts, I gained understanding, which then changed how I lived. Now, what if we try to short-circuit both the head and the heart and just go straight for the will? I'm going to do it. (sighs) What is that like? I'm going to do what's right. No mistakes today. Yeah, the the back flow pollutes the, the first two. Absolutely. But what, what is that experience like besides the backflow? Very defeating because you, you, you try to have a perfect day and by 9 a.m. you've missed the boat. You've made a wrong choice. You've had a wrong thought. I mean, you can't stop it. You can't go directly to the will and change the will directly. It's got to work from head to heart, then to will. It takes time. Long time. Right? You can't short circuit it. When other people try to control your will directly, what do we call that? Slavery Slavery and coercion, right? Force. Do you like that? No, we're Americans. We hate that. More than most people, we hate that. And rightfully so. It's, it's bad to be forced into something that you don't want to do. Well, it's not the way God does. God changes the head, the heart, then the will. 
And the Christian life, the life of wisdom, the pathway to wisdom is that same way. God's word to my head, into my heart, down, out, through my hands and feet and what I actually choose to do and do in my life. Uh, What David is describing in verses 103 to 104 is a definition of what he described or what he names in verse 97 to 99. It's a description of meditation on the Bible. Meditation. Do you see that word in verse, in verse 97 and 99? Big time Bible word, it's everywhere. When people today think of meditation, what do they typically think of? Eastern or New Age meditation, you know. Buddha, what Buddha did. Uh, that's not what the Bible meant. Uh, David precedes Buddha, actually, in years, by about 400 years. He precedes Buddha. He was talking about meditation before Buddha was. And what he meant by meditation is taking in, filling your mind with the word of God and turning it over in such a way, thinking through it so that it moves your heart to then move your actions. Let me give you one example. This will be where I close. Have you ever had to give a speech or do a, a, you know, a, a project at work that you were really nervous about and to prepare for it? How did you prepare for it? You practiced, right? Everybody knows this, right? You had to sit down on the drawing board and you had to plan it. You had to think about it. Uh, In fact, if you're really nervous, it's good for you to think about it and think about it and think about it and think about it until it becomes almost second nature. When people are learning how to do public speaking and they're super nervous about public speaking, that's what you do. You you learn your material so well that it's like, you know, you could lose your notes in a windstorm and uh, you could still keep going. And that's when you know that you're ready to speak it. Uh, Because you have thought it to such a degree that it has become a part of who you are. It's a part of what you feel. Um, Well, this is the same. That's what meditation on the Bible is. It's taking what God has said and making it, by His Holy Spirit, making it a part of who you are. And that takes effort as well as the Holy Spirit. And it moves from head to heart to feet. That is the source and pathway of true wisdom which is not simply being a sage who is saying deep things that everybody is ooing and aahing over, right? Being wise in the Bible is doing the right thing for the right reasons. Very simple. Don't you want to be wise? Oh, how I love your law.